Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we need to have a healthy view of what fearing the Lord is. And fearless is a word that we use here on the podcast all the time. My podcast is named fearless. It's a word that's so important to me, but it can have different meanings in different stages of life and different connotations. But we, are, of course, are living in a hostile um culture that's increasingly hostile to biblical truth, of course. And I wrote a fearless family devotional for those that didn't know. Um, and it's a study on First Peter. It's only 14 days long, but it's to help equip you to spend daily time in God's word and to help you prepare your family to have a fearless faith. And Peter, of course, he wrote this short letter to believers who were living in turbulent times just like we are today. And I will put a link in the show notes of how you can get your own copy, but it's also on my website, sissygramlynch.com. Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. Welcome back to another episode of Fearless. And of course, the world is changing and it's changing quickly. These last couple of weeks, I have not been able to get the images out of my head that have come out of Israel. I think of those moms on October 7th that woke up, it was kind of the end of their holiday and their life shattered. I think of the moms waking up in their children's bedrooms, their children's cribs have become a bloodbath. There's a story of a mom that was found with a baby bottle in her hand trying to feed her son that was found dead on the floor. And those lives change so quickly for those mothers, for those fathers, those families. And I think that can happen here. That could happen to our lives. Lives can change in an instant. And I shared on the last episode of Fearless that I was at church and I was watching all these young families around me. And at that church, there was not one mention of Israel. And my heart was saddened. It was saddened for these families because we've been given so much freedom, freedom beyond measure. And for many of us, we've taken that for granted. And we have not paid attention to what's going on in the world and what's happening around the world that are starting to align. These aren't just political issues. These are biblical issues. They affect us, yes, as Americans, but also as Christians. And I think sometimes when we talk about national security and foreign policy, that those can be foreign concepts to us. They're kind of not in the forefront of our minds, but especially with an election year coming up where we will be electing a president of the United States who will be representing us around the world, these things should be important. And I want them to be important for those who are listening. And so I've asked my brother, Edward. Edward has been here on Fearless before. And Edward graduated from the United States Military Academy, West Point. He served 16 years in the U.S. Army in multiple combat deployments and roles of leadership. And I've asked him to come have this conversation with me. So, Edward, welcome back to Fearless. Thank you, sis. It's great to be back with you. So, as I said, of course, Edward was in the Army for 16 years, and he's like the poster man for the Army. 6'4", walks in, the square jaw. If you're thinking of like G.I. Joe, he is it. And even when he's at West Point, I think he did try to get recruited by a modeling agency, Wilhelmina Modeling yeah, Wilhelmina. Agency. So he's the good looking one in the family. So uh, we know that's not true, Sissy, but I did say no to that. Thankfully, he pursued a career in military instead. But Edward 
all joking aside, there's a lot going on in this world. You and I, growing up under the umbrella of Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, we got to see a lot of this. Our dad came home and talked about all of this stuff with us because he was on the front lines serving those people injured. Mm -hmm. But first, you know, I've said as a Christian and as a mom, you know, our politics matter here, but we need to know what's going on. Why is it important as an American that we have a concern of what's going on around the world? Well, so you mentioned that we've enjoyed certain freedoms in this country. And we always used to joke, you know, in the Ranger Regiment that combats were your, when you went on your deployment, that was your America Appreciation Tour. You'd come back with such a renewed appreciation for the safeties and how we live life here. But we had also come back and you're a little frustrated because people are so oblivious and almost so careless and frivolous with what we have and what we've been entrusted with. And so when you asked a question, and I'm not a mother, you know, and what should a mom be interested in? And I can speak on behalf of a father, but as families, we, we wake up with my kids in my house, we wake up with a certain relative understanding that we're secure. We're not going to have someone knocking on our door and pulling us out and shooting us in our driveway because of our political beliefs, the tribe that we're in. We don't live like that. And we've lived in a safe, secure nation for hundreds of years now. I mean, you, you look even from past even the Civil War, it's probably our last time this country ever has felt true uncertainty. And 9-11 is not even a glimpse. I think we felt vulnerable maybe after 9-11 that this could happen anywhere. But look how quickly we've forgotten. We get so distracted by what the Kardashians are doing or Taylor Swift's new album. I'm not belittling that, but it is, I'm ashamed sometimes of what our country values. And I'm so appreciative of the sacrifices that men and women have made to give us this level of security that we live and enjoy. But I think as Americans, as a voter, as Christians, I believe we have a responsibility to understand how the world works and what's happening out there. And if you look at our news and if you're watching CNN or Fox News, you're missing it because they're only talking about politics, the Trump trial. They're not talking about what's happening in Sudan. Uh, most people don't even know there's been fighting in Sudan and what's happened there. Uh, people don't understand the dynamics between Hamas, what Hamas is, what's Hezbollah, the threat coming from Lebanon now, what Israel's truly facing. People don't know the differences between because they don't have to. They live in a world here, but that can all change. The Bible talks about what's coming. And I, I believe every word of scripture to be true. And it's actually an exciting time. I'm not fearful of what's happening around the world. But when we vote, we better vote with a picture more than just what's happening here in the States. You hear the, and we can talk about this later, but we have certain responsibilities. I didn't grow up in World War II, but I'm a student of history. And I watched what happened, you know, with the Jews then. If right doesn't stand up in the face of evil and do something, you'll quickly be back to those type of conditions where people are being slaughtered because of their religious beliefs for their bloodline. We're not that far away from it. You think that was just 70, 80 years ago, and we act like it won't happen again. Look at the evil. That's a, look what just happened. That's the same evil. And then you hear the rhetoric out of American politicians. You hear a group of women, congresswomen, that are talking, and the same things that come out of their mouth are the same things that Adolf Hitler said. And I think that's what I really want people to realize is we have enemies out there that truly hate us as Americans. And we, like you said, we've lived in this bubble. We don't realize when we go travel and we go to Europe and we go travel the world that the world hates us or a lot of the world. 
and they hate our children. We know that Hamas wants to wipe out not just Jewish people. They want to wipe out Christians. But let's go back a little bit, a couple years, because there's a lot going on in the world and we're going to get there. But what has kind of painted the picture for our enemies? Viewpoint, Because when the United States pulled out of Afghanistan the way it did in August of 2021, what did that tell the other world powers? You know, I'm, I'm frustrated with the Afghanistan pull up, but I know without a doubt, and I don't care what this administration says, but when Putin saw us pull out the way we did, he said, marshal the tanks, start moving the tanks to the border of Ukraine. I mean, it, look at the timeline. Um, he smelled blood on the water and weakness. And I've, I've, I truly believe that and understanding my, you know, the Russian, I studied Russian military, Russian doctrine and the kind of the Russian psyche and mindset. And that's exactly Putin's always told us what he was going to do. He's never hit it. If he said he's going to do something, he's done it. And Trump kind of did the same thing. If he said he's going to do something, he did it or attempted to do it. But I, I look at that. That's when that fell, you know, with Afghanistan falling. That's when Ukraine fell. You know, I had a meeting shortly when I came to Samaras Purse. I was in Erbil and I was talking with the president of Kurdistan and also with uh, the prime minister. And they asked me, what is this administration's viewpoint of the Kurds going to be? And that time I said, watch what happens in Afghanistan. And that if you're an ally to America, that will tell you an indicator how this administration is going to view you. Because I even told the Trump administration, do not pull out of Syria. If you pull out of Syria, you give the Iranians a land bridge all the way from Iran across Iraq, because they control the Iraqi government, into Syria. This is a country that has said they exist to exterminate and kill the Jews. They want to get rid of Israel. Uh, that's what this regime is telling everybody. So why would we empower them? But they're, they've been emboldened. And so you look at China, they're going to be emboldened. And like, because is this administration, this power, we're not the world's policemen, but are we going to allow the innocent to bleed and die when we have the ability to stop it? And so you hear a lot of commentators out there saying, like with Ukraine, you know, we shouldn't get involved or you'll drag us into a world war. I'm a student of history. I studied history at West Point, too. Look at World War II. We were coming out of World War I. We wanted to avoid a war. We didn't want to go into another one because Britain, the prime minister of Britain, France, and the U.S. wanted to avoid another world war. They tried to appease a bully. You can't appease a bully. There's a lot of similarities between Adolf Hitler and the way he leads and Putin. Now, I'm not saying Putin's going out there exterminating Jews and the Holocaust, but going back and trying to regain the borders, just like Germany did, invasion. I did my thesis at West Point on the invasion of the Rhineland, and it was the failure of the British prime minister to stop it, and along with France. And so you got to tell evil no. Someone's got to stand up. And as Christians, we should stand up and, and speak with truth. I'm not asking for war. I'm not a warmonger. I've spent time in war. I don't want to send anybody to war unless you have to. But you can't avoid war by hiding from it. It's going to create a world war. You, you stop war by carrying a big stinking stick and be willing to use it at the last resort if you have to. But you hit them so hard that they'll never try again. Yeah. Ronald Reagan's foreign policy was summarized in the phrase peace through strength. Mm -hmm. um, and Teddy Roosevelt said, walk softly, but carry, carry a, a big, big stick. stick. So, yeah, I love Reagan. I grew up studying him. I mean, as a kid, I can remember him. I was born in 79, but a lot of my studies and research were done on Ronald Reagan as well. But I looked at it, the failures coming out of a weak administration before that and what this nation was going towards. And then you look at the difference. The reason we were so successful in Iraq, the technological advances that we had in the first Gulf War all came from Reagan. That was built off the Reagan administration. So I don't want to go to war. I don't want to send my kids to war. 
That's the last thing I want my kids having to grow up and go. I went to Iraq and Afghanistan so my kids don't have to. Unfortunately, I look at it and I'm like, what was it all for? It's all been flushed because of bad decision of an administration. So we've had, you know, 13 Americans killed in Afghanistan. We see coups happening in Africa. Well, that was just at the end. Um, We lost a lot of Americans. Yeah. A ground war in Europe. Chinese Communist Party threatening land and sea-based neighbors. Um, And it seems that America has failed in leading and doing the right thing. So how can American leaders change this? Well, it goes back to what we're talking. I think deterrence comes in strength. And we're blessed to have an incredible military. We want a military that wins and that is equipped to win, that's not afraid to win. We want a military that is moral. We want it well-led. So that's both on the officer and the non-commissioned officer. There's no other military like ours. The reason Russia has struggled is because it's officer heavy. They never invested in their non-commissioned corps. Our junior enlisted, our our senior enlisted soldiers, they're phenomenal. So is our military still strong? The Russian military? No, is our military still strong? Because when you... You know, it's focused on the wrong recruitment things. Let's is, be honest. I'm one of these ones that I completely agree that the military is focused on the wrong things. They're worried about inclusion. The whole time I was in the military, I was always told it's not a democracy in the military. We're there to win our nation's wars. We're not there to give someone else another chance. What's his turn to lead? I want the very best leader. Do you want the very best leader to look a certain way? Or, or really, we're going to spend this much time and energy talking about a transgender soldier when they met, make up less than point like zero zero two percent of the military formation, but yet we're going to spend millions of dollars in time and energy. I sat in a meeting when I was an aide to the commander's uh, Army Special Operations. We're up in D.C. and I'm listening to the chief of staff of the Army and we spent three hours on sexual changes and in studies that were done out there. We already knew the answer. It has no place in the military. It doesn't make us stronger. And so when you hear this saying that a more inclusive army makes us stronger, no, it doesn't. The best person in the formation that's there to lead, that's what makes us stronger. Are the frustrations of your friends that are still serving? Yeah, there's a lot of frustration. There's still some great men and women in the military. I, I feel safe. We got a, like the best talent out there. You know, the day I left the military, it never skipped a beat. It didn't need me. It's surrounded by talent. I pray for them. I miss it. It was a great career, but we have a military that no one else can match, but that can change. And it's important. That's why we we elect leaders that value the military and strength and, you know, the strength of our military, because it is a deterrence. And we want to give them the best equipment. We want to give them the best training opportunities. We want to give them the best men and women leading it. And that's not happening. When we look at Ukraine over the last year and a half, there's a lot of dialogue here in America that would be very negative, especially in conservative circles, even Christian conservative circles that have been really negative. Yeah. But what are the key reasons that we cannot ignore what's happening in Ukraine? So I go back to my example that I I always studied history so we don't repeat it. What's happening in Ukraine is exactly what happened and what led us into World War II. You can't avoid it. And you got a power that's trying to take over and take what they think is their territory back from the Ukrainians. And I've been several times to Ukraine. I was there the first week of the war. Um, And we put up a hospital and Lviv there. I've been back several other times. Uh, as you see, the war always transitions. War looks different and the war progresses. And so the Samaritan's Purse's ministry there has changed also from doing medical, but we've transitioned to feeding programs and re-roofing programs further in the east along the red zone. But also I've had opportunities twice now, once when I went over and I took Secretary Pompeo. And then we also went a second time where I took Pence to meet with the president of Ukraine as well. And 
Zelensky has gotten a reputation in this country as, you know, of, of hindering the church or being against the church's work there. And really what he was going after is the Russian Orthodox Church and its ties to Russia. But I highlighted to the president, because he allows freedom of worship in that country, what the church has done in Ukraine. It's When I was there in the first week of the war, they were the ones housing, feeding everyone that was fleeing. They were basically a transition point from the train stations to get to the border. The church did it all out of pocket. So immediately we started responding and helping those churches in Lviv to get them there. And when we were giving grants also to the churches, to the non-denominational and to the Baptist Union there and the Pentecostal Union to be able to deliver food and medical supplies. But remember, we've done Operation Christmas Child there for years. We've got over 2,300 churches that have done it. So we turn the logistical arm of that Operation Christmas Child network into a feeding program on the Eastern Front. And I highlight again that to the president of Ukraine, Zelensky knows and he's acknowledged what the church has done in the red zone to include when the dam broke. It was the church that responded immediately, started doing rescues. We had Samaritan's first teams and equipment there with local church partners to get people out of the flooded areas. We started drilling wells there for clean drinking water. Um, and then we were helping with mud outs, just like we do here in the U.S. We were doing similar programs there, mudding out homes to get people in there quickly. Remember, these homes are right on the front line. They're getting shelled, too. So the president of Ukraine is very aware of what the church has done and the power of the church when you allow freedom of worship. And he acknowledged that. There is freedom of worship there. Ukraine is one of the most church countries in all of Europe. So when you hear certain commentators talk about the opposite, it's not true. And, you know, they're speaking stuff they have no idea about, and it is spreading false information. So I thank the president for what he's been doing. We do have a generous nation, but we have a fragile nation because of the last 56 years what People in Washington, the decisions they've made were trillion dollars in debt. So a lot of people's concern has been how much money we have given to Ukraine. What should have been done from the beginning? Like, how can we help and assist and not ignore what's going on, but do it in a way where we're not giving this much aid? Or maybe we're not giving too much aid. What are your thoughts on that? Well, keep in mind, we signed a treaty with Ukraine. If they gave up their nukes, that we would secure them. So they're not asking for much, but if we don't stop Russia here, this evil here, where else on the plains of Europe, when, when are you going to fight it? Learn from World War II. You ignore the problem. It's only going to get worse and it'll drag you into a world war. So if we got another element that's willing there to fight another nation, equip them and give them the tools to be successful. Um, and you look at our finances. Yeah, we have limited resources here. I don't want to fund the world. We can't. We need to take care of here, but we can make better decisions. I heard one conservative commentator go after Pence, where he said, you know, you need a strong border. Forget about Ukraine. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, the president of the United States needs to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. You can have a strong border, a strong U.S. policy here, homeland policy, and still defend our borders. We have to have strong borders overseas. That's how you defend it here. A wall is not going to protect you from another nation invading or influencing evil around the world. And we can also, we're spending, wasting millions here on social agendas like the homosexual agenda, how we do welfare here is a train wreck. And so we're just wasting money. Um, let's put money where it's important. So that's why it's important for your listeners to understand what's on the ballot each time, what a party stands for, what a party doesn't stand for. And lastly, I would tell people, look at scripture. Trump got a bad rap, you know, as far as Christians and then and some on the liberal side that were saying, you know, he's a bad leader. But look who he has surrounded himself with. In Scripture, God saved the nation of Israel through number twos, Joseph, Daniel, 
These were strong believers that became the number two people in the, in the nations that they were serving to the kings. Joseph was able to influence the Pharaoh to save the nation from a famine. And you look at Daniel and how he was able to influence the king and rule there. Trump surrounded himself by strong believers. You were there in the administration often. You saw some of these people, the Pences, the Pompeos, that were able to influence the president and help him make decisions. That's something you got to look at. Who's the president? Maybe not just the president you're voting for, but who that cabinet's going to be. Who's that president? Who's going to be the secretary of defense? Who's going to be you know, the secretary of state that are going out there? Those are very important. Who are the judges that they're going to appoint? Those are why it's very important. It's just not the president. It is the administration. How can we as America, as you mentioned, you know, Penn said, we can stand for the free world and protect ourselves here. Right now in the scenario, how do we do that? What is the best way to protect our southern border? Because that's one of a big concern is our own national security. How do we protect the southern border? The, the easiest way, I think, to protect the southern border is enforce the laws that we have. We have laws that are being ignored. And when I talk to a border patrol, they have a lot of the laws that they need. They're just not allowed to enforce it. I also believe you bring back Trump's policy. Trust me, I want to serve and help those that are in the ditches of the world. That's what we do at Samaritan's Purse. And I want great people coming to this country and to be a part of this great experiment we have in a republic. That is what makes America so great. But we have rules and laws as a nation. If we don't enforce those laws, we're lawless. Look at our cities. They're not enforcing laws. They're allowing, you know, the disorderly to go out and protest and destroy and to pillage, to rob, and there's no consequences. There has to be a consequence to when you break law and when you cross the border illegally, that's breaking the law. When we look at our enemies, are they here in America already? Yes. When we look at our, I mean, just this month, I think four top Iranian men yeah. were captured. The Iranian regime, they're extremely crafty, they're smart, and they know where our vulnerabilities are. We don't have to be too smart to know that our border is open and people come across. They're I here. I mean, but our... We've allowed them in. They're here. I'm telling them it's nothing to be afraid of and like, you know, but it, you should be concerned of the voter and you should ask why. Why would we allow this to happen? When we look right now at the world stage, and you've already kind of answered this, who are our greatest enemies and what's their, what's their end goal? Because I, I think this is what Americans don't realize. Yeah. Like, what's the end goal? We're not, it's all going to be peace and love. Well, you know, I, some of your listeners not remember when Bush made the axis of evil and he talked about Iran. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he talked about North Korea. I can tell you right now, and I, I've adopted from China. I love the Chinese people. I uh, pray for China, but they do not align with the values that America was built off. And that is, and regardless of what a certain political party may try to tell you here, we're built off Judeo-Christian values and the Christian ethics. And you take away the Bible, where do we get our ethical way of living? There is no ethics if you take away scripture. I used to get an argument with one of my professors at West Point. He used to go off at me about being Billy Graham's grandson. But my whole argument in the Army, we're, we're built off Christian values. And so they're not aligned with us. And I'm not saying that I know it's not the, the purpose of the United States and the military to go and evangelize around the world. But we have certain rights and privileges here that we enjoy that I do believe that we should protect freedom from the innocent. How did we let the Holocaust happen? How did we let that happen? And a lot of it at the time is, well, we didn't know. Well, social media, we have no excuse really now for not knowing when evil's going on around them. We might not know what's going behind the walls in North Korea that well. You know, there are closed countries. But right now we're seeing evil in the Middle East, and most of us aren't doing anything about it and don't care or don't understand it. And uh, it's the same evil that just happened in Israel is exactly what happened at the Holocaust. 
So now we have our chance to do something about it. Church, what are you going to do about it? You made a great point. We're not to live in fear. I don't fear the future because I know where my hope I'm is anchored. About it. I don't even worry about it, but I am concerned. And there's a difference between fearful worry and concern. Concern can lead us to take action. But you and I, we have young children. My son loves to play army and play military with your boys. I feel like that's instilled in boys. They're meant to be warriors. But I do think this is an, I don't know if mistake is the right word. American moms and dads don't want to talk about that with their children. They don't want to talk about what's going on in the war in Israel, war in Ukraine. My kids see the news. We grew up with that because dad was often with Samaritan's Purse, helping those people that were the victims of war. How do you talk to your children? My kids come from a different experience because their dad was in war for so long. And so maybe I was a little frivolous or careless with my conversation. I, I never talked about certain things in front of my kids or even my own wife. So a lot of what happened in combat, they don't know about. But we do talk about conflict and war to the point. My son, Hunter, who's my middle son, and he's in uh, fourth grade right now. Every day when I drive him to school, he would pray for Ukraine and for peace in Ukraine and for a peace that only Jesus Christ can bring about. That was his prayer. Well, the other day after the attacks in Israel, I drove them to school. And not only did he pray for Ukraine, he prayed for Israel. So he'd been watching the news with me. I interact with my children about the news and we talk to them to the point where I even talk about politics and I talk about what parties stand for and what certain politicians stand for. And I let my kids come up with their conclusions. Well, dad, that's not right. I just tell them what they stand for and what they vote on. And so my kids get to be a part of the conversation. But when I hear my son Hunter praying for peace in Israel and he's praying for peace on both sides, he's praying for the Palestinians as well. Because remember, there's a lot of Christian Palestinians but I pray for the Muslim Palestinian as well. I want peace and I want Jesus to get all the glory. So the best way I talk with my kids is usually through prayer. And at scripture time, when we read the Bible, we talk about parts in the Bible that talk about war. God talked and used warriors, mighty warriors. I mean, look at David, Jeremiah. There, there's so many warriors, uh, Samson even, that God highlights in scripture. And David kills his tens of thousands in the songs that they sang about him. And so that's how I use those conversations. And I talk about the world today and how we got here and why the Middle East is so volatile and why it's important. So have these conversations. Maybe you decide when the right age is to talk to your kids, but it's not going to get better. And I think most people don't talk to their kids about it because they themselves don't understand it. They've never researched. Well, and from my point of view is I can honestly say I've been a mom for 10 years and almost every night that I've put Margaret to bed for 10 years in the back of my mind, a prayer has been, Lord, thank you for a safe roof over my child's head and that there's not bombs flying over my child's head because I've been with moms who've had to hide in the cleft of rocks. That's right. Whose reality is, I think of those Israeli moms who they woke up to their reality, is we've had the luxury to not live in that reality. But I think of the children's reality. So I want my kids to know what other children are facing in this world. Um, so that's one reason why Corey and I, we've decided we do talk to our children about it. They watch the news and we explain it on a level that can, because we can't ignore it because those kids can't ignore it in those zones. And you're absolutely right, because we, we have an American perspective in reality of what happens here, and especially our church, the church here, when I say our church, the American church. And it's it's actually embarrassing when you travel the world and you look at the perspective that we have and you go talk to our missionaries out there that live it. You know, most of our churches, when they go on mission trips, they're going to a very safe and secure area. We got missionaries that are in, in fear of their lives every day, but they're bold. 
out there serving. I meet some of the greatest people. And when I ask them what they need, they don't ask for more money. They ask for more disciples. And that's what I want my kids to understand and appreciate out there. And dad took us to dangerous places growing up, but we have a very narrow-minded of Christianity here in the world. So you just actually brought up another good point. Why is it so important here in America that we are strong so that we can help those others be strong that are being persecuted? And I think that's such an important point that people don't understand. It's important that our religious freedom, that's the bedrock of this nation, so we can help those with the gospel who are being persecuted. I'm a strict constitutionalist. I believe in what the Constitution says, you know, word from word. And because God gave us the Constitution, we have a strong America. A strong America means a country that lives and breathes the Constitution of the United States and champions um, what it stands for and what was written on there. And we need a great Supreme Court that allows that um, and doesn't legislate from the bench. There's no other country in the world. No one is as benevolent as the church in America and gives like the church in America. And there's some studies done. I forget this uh, one study I was reading in a book where this uh, liberal was going after church. And he was trying to prove that no one gives like the professor at in Vermont, you know, because they, they care about the trees and the and monkeys and stuff like that. No. And when he did a study, he realized it was the church that gave. When people pray for something, they usually give towards it. And so we need this country and this church needs to be praying for peace in the Middle East, but peace in, in Europe as well, because if there's not peace in Europe, it drags American in every time. And so we need a safe and secure Europe. We need a safe and secure Middle East because it's going to draw the world into war there, too. And we know what's going to happen. It says in Scripture, it's, it's some of this is unavoidable, but I don't live in fear of that. I'm excited about it. But the stronger our country is, the more the church can go out and do its job. So in the few years, I've talked to some moms whose children, whose sons want to enlist or go to a military academy and the mothers discourage it. I mean, I can understand that's a hard reality for a mother that can be worrisome. But what would you tell those mothers whose children want to serve in our military? Uh, congratulations that you have a kid that would even want to do that. If my kids want to serve, I hope they don't. You know, they have, they have to go overseas. But if my kids want to serve, I'll be their biggest fan, their biggest supporter, and their biggest chance. They're going to have challenges, both military and here domestically, and their own just being in the military that I never had. It was an interesting place to be. But it's a great mission field, even though you've got some bad leadership. Um, there were some bad decisions about, you know, what we value. But you remember, the military is responsive to its commander-in-chief and to its government. And we have to obey orders and we follow the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution is a great document. God gave great men and women, men, really, to write it. And that's what we're sworn to uphold. If you got a kid that wants to go do that and fight for this nation's freedom, be proud. And there's no safer place to be in the palm of God's. If you're in his will, and that's where God wanted me. And plus, I was surrounded by a bunch of angry rangers. We did dangerous missions. And unfortunately, I lost men in my command. And that's hard. I thank them all the time. But to those moms and dads, thank you. And uh, we are safer and we're more secure. I truly mean that because of the sacrifice that those those guys and my classmates at West Point made. Um, they are America's finest. And so we want America's best and brightest in the military. That's who we want serving. Do you want anything less? And just ex think what you're going to get, just like we want America's best being law enforcement. I want America's best being in the teachers. I want the church teaching. We need the church, the Christians, in the education system and in colleges. 
I mean, the colleges are so far gone through a, a leftist, a progressive agenda that is everything anti-Christian. Let's take back the schools. Let's take back the colleges. And let's make sure the military is always standing for this country. You know, as we get ready to close and you're talking about the church, you were specifically talking about the church in Ukraine earlier and how they've been the hands and the feet and they've gone to the front lines and served. Samaritan's Purse has had great partnership with the church in Ukraine. Let me clarify, what is Samaritan's Purse? Because I think when I introduced you, I even forgot to say when you got out of the military, you're now working with dad at Samaritan's Purse as chief operating officer. I forgot that in your bio. So my question is, what is Samaritan's Purse doing? So we took a hospital there initially and that opened the door. We moved that hospital eventually even further east along the red zone. But we have been buying tons. I think it's about 94,000 tons of food that we have shipped to the red zone, especially during the winter time, because there's no food going in there. The World Food Program had this idea that they would um, basically give you a receipt and you go and that's how you buy your food. Well, that works if there's food there. There wasn't food on the front. We've also these bombed out areas in these communities. When I say the red zone, this is the far eastern. This is the front line. And these communities, too, that had been recovered back and, and been relieved from the Russians. The roofs have been blown off these homes, but the people hadn't left. They got nowhere to go. And so they're still staying in these homes with no roofs in the wintertime. So we'd go and retarp, put a new roof on, and then we'd put a heating source in there, wood stove, feeding them. And we do this through the local church. Everywhere we go is through the local church. We've also been delivering medical supplies. We help with ambulance programs and do an ambulance exchange to bring people off the front lines. Uh, these are um, uh, wounded civilians, you know, bring them back to get treatment. But Samaritan's Purse is living out the example of the Good Samaritan, meet the immediate needs, the guy in the ditch. So it's medical, it's food. It's housing, it's transportation, but the most important that part of that story is a debt was paid, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the debt. The innkeeper was paid a debt. We're also working with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. They're there training chaplains how to share hope in crisis, rapid response chaplains, training military chaplains there as well. So there is no stopping or preventing religion or the sharing of Christ there, but Samaritan's Purse is heavily involved. It's our largest response we've ever had in the history of the ministry. And I don't know when it's going to end. I don't know how long we can keep doing it. God keeps providing the resources to do it. But we work to the local church. And to that point, you just remember praying. They got a winter coming up, as we were just hearing last night from a friend yeah. that's helped us there. They have a long, long winter coming up. Brutal cold there. Um, so that's where so we will power continue. grids will be turned off. We'll, that's right. We'll ramp up with feeding um, and food programs there. Also, clean drinking water becomes an issue. Even during the wintertime, we drill wells, especially in the southern areas along Odessa, where the water was turned off from the Russians. But that's brackish water. So we actually drill wells. Samaritan's Purse has been doing water and wash wells for a long time. So it, it, the winter's going to be hard, so pray for, and who knows what the war is going to look like then. And with Israel, if Samaritan's Purse has an opportunity, how will they respond? Yeah, we're there, and we do have team members there, but you just, people, we understand, we just can't show up at the hospital and start serving yet to be invited in by the Israelis, and plus the security situation on the ground. So we're helping local churches there and partners or our churches uh, evangelical churches there to include in Gaza, even in Gaza and the West Bank, there are Christian Palestinians. People forget that how many Christian Palestinians there are. The church there is alive and they're serving. So we're helping them even inside Gaza. The banks are still working. So we're able to transfer funds to them so they can get resources and what is needed to help those that are suffering. So we will work there. We'll continue to work in uh, Israel. It'll just change as the war goes on and maybe other parts surrounding in areas like Egypt. Um, it's going to be very interesting. There's just going to be so many challenges that Israel's facing. I don't. This isn't going to be over anytime soon. And Samaritan's Purse Day is committed to serve and work through the local church to help everybody. We don't deny anybody help. We'll help the, the Muslim, the Christian, the Jew. We're there to help the ditch, those that are in the ditches of the world. 
Well, Edward, uh, there's just, once again, a lot going on in the world. And I want the American families, I want the young mom and dads to understand the privileges we have had. And with those privileges comes great responsibility and preserving the future for our children. And that's what my prayer is. But no matter what the future is, like I said, I don't worry about it and I'm not fearful about it, but I am concerned and we do need to be concerned right now. I, I believe that you're absolutely right. And it's my hope, you know, I, my prayer for my kids is they get to live in a country where they can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray they're bold for Jesus and that we have a country that allows them to do that. Thank you for coming today on Fearless. Appreciate it. I know the things we talked about on today's episode are not typically the things we like to talk about or we like to think about, but they are so important. So thank you for joining me on today's episode of Fearless. And Fearless is a ministry of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And we talked about some of the work that our chaplains do around the world with Samaritan's Purse. And to check out more of those ministries, you can go to billygram.org.